So we're going to continue our studies in the Book of Acts. And uh, we usually say that we decided as a church to study the Word of God sentence by sentence. And, and this would discipline us not to keep repeating favorite passages and, and also discipline us not to skip hard ones. And uh, this is good, but in reality, if you've been here on Sundays, I don't actually cover every single sentence. We go like chunk by chunk kind of church, you know? But, but uh, these weeks, uh, in the end of Acts 20, it's such an important defining sentences that we will actually study every sentence. So Akos started it, we, we on purpose, we said we're going to cover it like four times if necessary, the same thing, because there is so much rich riches in it, so that we have to, have to spend time on this. And uh, this is in chapter 20, and what we see is that Paul is in Miletus and asked Ephesus elders and pa- pastors to come it's around that 78, 80 kilometer journey to come out on a pastor's retreat or an elder's retreat. And so, and, and some of his exhortation or teaching toward leaders is recorded here. So about biblical leadership, this is one of the most crucial passages in the Bible. Okay, so for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And before we even start the speech of encouraging leaders, I don't have to... I think we all have stories of misrepresenting God by elders, by leaders. We've seen bad leadership in our life. You know, you know, we, we've seen, uh, it's starting with our parents, you know, like, so we actually have more experience about bad leadership. I think the reality is that we have more, more experience about church, bad experience about church leadership too. And, um, so I think for some of us, this is going to be very healing things to hear. And for some of us, it will be challenging to hear. Because you don't realize how much, how much of your conviction and your actions are picked up behaviors from other people. And if we, if we happen to have affection toward the leader, a church leader who was toxic or bullying or overpowering or unbiblical, we, we, we tend to normalize unbiblical behavior and, and our love covering over a lot of sins, but we shouldn't cover over, you know, when it comes to biblical leadership. So hear this and, and let this sober us up. You know, like, like I just uh, I talked to someone recently about um, toxic abuse in churches and toxic abuse in relationships. And, um, you know, my wife and I over the years helped a lot of uh, abused women, for example. And it, 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 it shocked me how, like, how a victim can normalize animalistic behavior, like horrendous behaviors, you know. We can explain away a lot of things. And so, uh, as far as church leadership concerned or our church culture concerned, uh, I want to watch for signs 
of what I need to repent of. I want to. I don't want to normalize little things what grow up to be toxic and unhealthy things. So, hence the deep conversations Tommy and Akush and I kept having, searching ourselves. Not what's wrong with you guys. What's wrong with us? Are we spoiling something here? So here comes his speech. Um, a group of responsible men come 80 kilometers and he says to them, you yourself know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. And we'll see this in other places in scripture. We talked about it on Wednesday night too. There was a very good conversation about this. That a biblical leader walks what he talks. He, a, a, a godly leader is... Um, like, he does what he's preaching. We have big discussions about this, that some of our favorite Christian speakers, we find out that they are in gross immorality, uh, cheating on their wives, cheating with church money, raping women, and so forth. And we are like, oh my goodness, I've been listening to that guy for years. You know, crazy stories. And I still remember their quotes. I want to quote some of them to you, but I can't. You're like, oh, this is so honk. And, and I, I remember some Wednesdays ago, we were talking about it like, yeah, but what they were saying is true. I was like, yes, it is. But somehow, like, you can't separate the vessel from the message, you know. And, and yes, I am flawed. And yet God, I don't, like, my wife and I, even in counseling situations, after, after, Obviously, God speaking through us into someone's life, you look at each other, that wasn't us. That was, that was God for sure. Like I can sense that God grants words of life, you know? But in the same time, I, I see that God could speak that through a donkey because there's actually a story in the Bible like that, you know? Like, but New Testament biblical leadership has a very, very high standard of no hypocrisy. That... That, that the vessel and the message would be in harmony, that I would walk what I preach. And so over and over, we see in the Pauline letter, letters too, he says, watch my example. I, I walked it in front of you. And it's not a prideful thing he's saying here, but it's, it's like, like if he sees some guys running and saying the right things, but with the wrong tone or saying the right things, but the wrong motive. And, and they're like, but you guys watched me how I did it. You saw my tone, my mannerism, my body language, my love for people. You watched me. From the next sentence, you will see that it's not a prideful bragging, but he appeals to his, to his example. It's like, watch my example. And so, so he is a, a, a godly leader. A godly church leader is a transparent leader. He's like, you, you see him, how he won, how he runs. Like, Akush thought about this last week and it just literally hit me when he says that accountability is not for the weak, accountability is for the wise. So uh, the first, first feature of biblical leadership is that um, your character match, matches your message. And then he says, that, Sir, you know, you saw me serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials, what happened to me through the plots of the Jews. And listen, uh, I mentioned this. We will go in details because we are heading into Corinthians um, after Acts. But the three years he spent in Ephesus was hellish for Paul personally, like for his mental health, for his 
he, he spent very hard years there. Yeah, I would, I would imagine him being like the top of his game type of traveling preacher, you know, and, you know, it's, he's a celebrity pastor. It's like none of that. These were agony, ag- years of agony for him. And, and he says, you saw me serve humiliated, like in humbleness or in lowliness. And, and we will talk about the principle of servant leadership. That's, we, will, we have to keep repeating that in our church. And, and I'm very thankful to run with a team who are not self-promoting kind of ladies and guys, but servant-hearted leaders. But our world doesn't work like that. Our world wants to rank you. You know, you're here, I'm here. You help me. Everywhere, you know. And Jesus Christ came and he's the only person actually who could slam the table and say, well, actually, I am the boss. And then he turns this pyramid upside down. And he says, if you want to be first, be the servant of all. He, he, he did, he, the disciples bickering, who is the first, he didn't shame them like, how dare you want to be first? He's like, you want to be first? This is how you do it. It's, it's not a bad thing to want to be excellent. And, and, and here comes this mentality that we want to be on the top. And the top guy would come and take off sandals of dirty feet and wash his disciples' feet right before dying for their sin. Now, that's the Jesus I want to copy. I want to follow. You know, you guys... Um, you, we have no idea about the power of humility yet. And I want this church to know about the power of humility. Like just for you to grasp is just how serious the attitude of our heart is. It, in, it, James, the church father, James says in his epistle, God lifts up the humble and opposes the proud. That's That's crazy. Two, only two ways you can feel the hand of God on you. You, 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 have a, you have a humility and you feel the hand of God like backwinds, like lifting you up, like literally lifting you. Or I have an arrogant attitude and I, have, I feel the same hands opposing me. It's like, no, Baj, you got to get down to earth. Nope. And, and, and sometimes I feel it in my prayer life. I'm so full of myself. Only talk about myself, complain about myself, whine to get things for myself in my prayers. And blaming others, blaming God, or just like whining. Why don't you give me this? Why don't you give me now? Why, why, where are you? I, I, feel like you're, I feel like you're hardened toward me. Like, I literally feel like it's like, you, it's like you're opposing me. You feel like you're hardened your heart toward me. And in fact, I hardened my heart first, bossing God around. And some of us have prayer seasons when we feel like, like it's, I feel like there's an opposition. Maybe, 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 maybe it's for, for our good. Maybe it's to sober me up to say, maybe I thought way too highly of myself. But, but here he says that serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, the, the, the humility of, of, of serving other people, how, how do I know if I humbly serve you? It, 
it's harder to catch actually and evaluate. So this conversation Tommy and Akush and I had like tried to have every six months to evaluate our character and our attitude. Those were very hard questions, like page long series of questions. It's very hard to detect motives. But I think that we can, uh, we can spot humility in Paul here. In other letters, he says that he felt like he owed it to people to help them. You know, you know the feeling when someone helps you and then requires back a favor, you know, or requires back a backhanded compliment, you know, you know, yeah, I literally had people say, well, remember a few years ago, I did that for you. So now do this for me. You know, I think the, the having a humility in servant service, service is the opposite of being entitled so, so when, when I feel like, oh, I'm, I'm entitled that you would respect me, you would listen to me, I mean, I'm entitled that you would treat me a certain way, you know, that's, that's the opposite of me humbly serving you. Humility is that I owe it to you, even if you appreciate it or not, I owe it that I would bring life-giving words and healthy theology to you. I, I, it's, it's my duty, I owe it to you. And the reason I owe it to you because... It's, it's only if I place myself in humility, it's like I'm here to help. Whoever comes my way, I want to I wanna, I wanna be life-breathing into them or, or encouraging giving toward them. And so the, 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 the three big things in this sentence is that, that there is serving, like a, the servant-hearted leader. There is humility and with tears and, and trials. And there is a lot of reason why a pastor could cry. It, here we will see in Paul's life, it, it was a hellish opposition, uh, um, dragging his name through the mud, literally endangering his physical safety. They are accusing him with, with absolutely false accusations. But what we see that a pastor or a leader serves you uh, in tears for multiple reasons, not just opposition. There's discussions about like how, how we can avoid burning out in ministry, how we can avoid the tears of ministry. Like I had a lot of discussion with other leaders. And uh, for medical students, you guys are trained not to get attached to patients and stuff. So you guys are, are it's built in, into the, in the curriculum in PTA, yeah, how to keep distance from patients, you know. But, but as, as a pastor, I can, I can play it safe. I can play it bulletproof. And I can harden my hearts toward you. Yeah. But if I care, I will cry. Because the reality is that when um, life-changing or life-healing sentences hit your heart, you're so concerned about yourself and your hurt and the story what hurting you that, you know, I might help, but I'd be gone in the sundown by the time you realized I helped. Yeah. So I might help you, but by the time you realize I help, I'm long gone, you know. Or uh, we see a problem maybe from the outside because we are on the outside of a situation. And we see like, oh, it's so obvious. You're hurting yourself. What are you doing? And then no matter how we cheer, it's just, oh, you keep hurting yourself. Oh. It's literally making us cry. But I think what, like Akush and I had a long conversations recently about this. I think one of the basic things 
what I think we are called to do as leaders. Uh, we cannot do the, without divine intervention. Telling you these words, I can I can say it. You might, oh, that was cool. And then by the time you hit the Kodaikospon parking lot, you're like, what was it about? I don't know. You know. And then like a few years later, it's like, oh, I know he always uses this illustration. So I know, I know, I know that words. This is what it's about. You know. You know. And and the. Uh, but do you believe it? And this is where our our hurt comes in. Like we we want to present you with with theology that five years later we wouldn't apologize and say, oh, we used to teach that, but that was wrong. I'm sorry. Now now I think this. We really want to. We we really don't want to take corners. We want to give you honesty, but doesn't change. So we need divine help to prepare to check our character and prepare and. And relay on honesty of God, but actually you need divine help to take it in. And so our tears is like, I don't care if I'm just a simple teacher. I don't care if I'm like a, a I don't, I don't care if it was a childish sentence, but let, let God hit their heart, grab their heart, heal their heart. So the tears of ministry shows the need for divine intervention. We need something bigger than just we have a good discussion, we agree on something. All right, let's run with it. We need more than this. And then we all agree and then run with that. And he says, And you also know how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Okay, so I am actually, uh, you guys treat us so respectfully. Like I never felt like even when there was, disagreements in the church you guys are so respectful about saying i don't really agree with what you said on the teaching you guys do so you guys do it so lovingly but you need to remember paul was publicly shamed almost every city he ever preached in so you can understand why he says like i didn't shrink back i wasn't scared to say it i was just i said it boldly whatever is good for you i said it boldly and although you guys respect us so gently, I'm still scared to confront some of you when you're hurting your wife or when you're, mis- you're misleading your children or when I'm having hard conversations with some of you. I'm trembling before, like, I hope you're not going to misunderstand. I really want good for you, but it's hard to say, it's hard to hear, but I'm trembling, you know. So both in formal and informal setting, Paul had no fear. He was not motivated by fear to be quiet. And he was bold to be honest, to be profitable. He was, he was, he was just bold to be honest. And uh, this, is, this is another side note. Like when we open our mouth in hard conversations, are we actually going to be profitable? That's most of our prayer time with Akush, for example. Like when we are when we are counseling and praying, like how should the next conversation be go? We should go with so and so. How can we aid her or aid him? Like how? What's profitable for that person? That's um, is it profitable? You know, just because I'm frustrated with someone, like should I tell him I'm just so frustrated with you? You know. It's like, is there, is there something else in the background here? What would help this person at this point for the next step in healing? So we see that he was boldly speaking what's profitable. 
testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. Showing, he was showing no partiality or favoritism or the negative, no racism. You know, he didn't say, I like these guys better. I don't want to go to these guys. You know, like I mentioned the story of this church, like this is the history of this little church. You know, when it wasn't just like, oh, we like Hungarians better. Like there were people who used to come to this church who said like, do not bring a gypsy here. And that, that's this, I think we lose our authenticity in preaching anything about the God of love if we start picking, you know, and choosing. But it wasn't just that he, he wasn't picky, but he was true to the essence of the gospel. He's calling, he says that, he was calling all of them without picking toward repentance toward God and, and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, that's hard to do, I'm telling you. You know, I'm just uh, having a conversation with the, one of the teachers of one of my kids. And she was so sweet. She's like, oh, you teach Bible in schools? What a good idea. Because I believe like all people are good and we should teach them, you know. And I, I, th- I think I, I'm convinced that everyone's born good. And, and that sentence is like, oh, no, I have to tell her, I have to tell her, I have to tell her, no. And, I, oh, and I'm like, well, you know what? And I told her, I'm like, well, you know, I never had to teach Jackson to lie. You know, I never had to teach my kids to steal. You know, I think all of us are sinners, you know. You know, it, it would be polite to say, oh, thank you so much. Have a good afternoon. You know, like, no, no, y- you also need to repent. I need to repent. Like, but there is a forgiveness. So like, we cannot skip the essence of the gospel. We, we cannot leave the essence of the gospel and just be polite and just talk about, oh, and God loves you. <laughs> well, you don't, you don't want to know where she took the conversation next though. But, I, but now I have to tell you. You know, like, and she goes like, uh, you know what I mean? Like, not everybody, you know, like, people are not like psychopaths and doing war crimes and stuff, like, just for, you know, like, that's not how they're born. Like, normal people would not do that. And I'm like, oh, no, that's the, those are the studies I really read. (laughs) Well, actually, some of you who study psychology, you know these, you know these researches. One of the Canadian university did extensive research about this, for example, what kind of personality it takes to put another human being in gas chambers. Like they were looking at the personalities of war criminals. How, how do we get there? What, ca- what kind of material we need for people material to do that? And uh, you would be surprised. The Bible is right. They were normal people, not psychopaths. They were normal people putting us a certain circumstance and their morals would erode. They, they were not sick people from the childhood, you know, skinning cats as a little boy and ripping legs of frogs off at four years old already or something. No, no, they were not these guys. They were normal people who would have never thought to do what they would do. Yeah. So I, I think we underestimate the power of sin, the deception of sin. I think we underestimate how beautiful and pure God is, goodness is. So it's understandable that we take the 
the doctrine of repentance lightly. Like we can skip it in a conversation. We cannot skip it. And so a biblical leader, um, without picking favorites, preaches repentance and forgiveness and faith in Jesus. And I know this is a, a, a rich Sunday. There's a lot, lot said already. But I will start a topic we will continue next week, which is kind of uh, what we mentioned before. Now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. So I want to be a fellowship where we trust God, Him being a great story writer. Now, how would I know what God will is for me? How He leads my little life? No. You know, you know, these are like questions. It's not written in the Bible, Balash in 2023 in February should do this. Like, but how should I, how would I know that the Holy Spirit is leading my life to where it's wise for me to walk? And, and this is what I'm so thankful that we, we just honestly told you that we are, we close like a one year conversation with God and the three of us. What's next, God? What's next? And we received an impression where to go, what to do. But here the Holy Spirit is whispering something ahead, like something's coming. And interestingly enough, he's telling that something negative is coming. And this will bring up, I, I know I'm not going to go into this, this will bring up a theology of suffering. Does God always want good? Or, or, or how do we do, is, is suffering from God or from the devil or just chance? Or This will bring up a bunch of questions we'll answer next week. But the fact is that the Holy Spirit here um, gives an insight to something hard to come. So, a biblical leader is sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, brave enough to be able to be warned about hardship to come or some price to be paid about something hard to come. That's, a, you know, that, hey, just for you to know, a price is going to be paid. Um, some of you went through horrible things and I've watched the Holy Spirit prepare you for the hardest things in your life. Before we go into like, why evil? Why does this happen? Why does bad happen to good people? But what? Isn't that a grace that the Holy Spirit would be able to pre-warn you about something crucial? Like, if God would knows everything ahead and he would tell me everything ahead, I would be like, oh, yeah, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. And I could just be like, just negative avoiding. What's your strategy? Just avoid pain. That's my strategy. So he doesn't tell us everything ahead, but he tells us some things. Why? So you could do this. Embrace yourself. Or you could, you could prioritize what's important. Because what happened here in, in Paul's mind is that every city, I keep, repeat, I keep here repeating a warning Something bad's going to happen, Paul. Something bad is going to happen. But I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself, he says, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. What is our greatest value? What is our greatest value? 
What is, what is, uh, if I could ask the question, and I've didn't done this in this church before, what, what would you, or who would you die for? Or what would you die for? Because likely what would you die for or who would you die for is worth living for. So these are these, these are challenging questions to us. What is our priority? What is the most valuable? What is the issue I would go to the streets and I would protest and I don't care if they shoot me, I would die for what? Freedom of speech, my country, a political leader, equality, justice. But those are, those are very valuable things I mentioned. People are valuable. Equality is valuable. Justice is valuable. But, but isn't it grace that the Holy Spirit would use his foretelling of future events to actually prioritize you in the present? Like it's affecting you right now. He's not telling you so you would know, you know, what's going to happen. I'm filled. I'm even just telling you, I'm, I'm, I said too much. These are so, these are such rich sentences in the Bible. This is like, we would have to re retell next week some of it because it's too much. But I, I just pray that uh, the, this um, biblical leadership would sink into our hearts. So we would not normalize toxic, sinful pastors' behavior. And we would not become a toxic leader of our families or our companies. So, uh, so I, I, uh, um, all of us will bear responsibility. All of us need to hear these leadership principles. So next week we will recap. We will keep repeating these. It's good for us to hear it. But this morning I want to end with a song celebrating the gospel of Jesus. Like I said, the essence of the gospel is that we are called to admit that we did wrong and then he grants us a cleansed conscience. Like the, the second you admitted you were wrong and then the second we admitted, he grants us cleanse, a cleansed conscience. And so may, as we sing this song, may the purity of God be the purest thing we see and may the sin of our heart be the ugliest thing we see and may we, we see that the cross of Jesus uh, made peace between, gave forgiveness for, for our sins. And, and as we sing this song, remember that in the cross of Jesus, God's best met man's worst. And we are a recipient here. We're just sitting, admiring somebody, admitting something, and he did all the work. So I think let's give him this respect. Give him this honor. Admire what he did. Ad admire who he is. And admit honestly what a mess we are. And, and I literally uh, desire that you would walk away with a, with a cleansed conscience this, this lunchtime.